Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the EduBabble Emporium, where we illuminate issues in modern public education with a common sense perspective, while offering suggestions of how to make things better for our students. Today's host is Tom O'Brien. He is a 30-year public school teacher, and he believes that speaking truth during this time of moral crisis is imperative. Welcome to the EduBabble Emporium, and enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the EduBabble Emporium. Thanks for stopping by. I want to start today's podcast by making a statement about public education. First, over the past 34 years, I have always been a cheerleader for public education. I have always been very proud of the people that I've worked with and have always felt like this, the individuals that I knew that were public school teachers in the different buildings that I worked in always did a fantastic job and put the needs of the students first. Education is also close to my heart because teaching runs in my family. My dad was a school teacher and a principal for 28 years. He was even the president of the Wyoming Education Association a teacher's union in West Michigan, back in the days where they fought hard for better pay and benefits. My mom had her teaching certificate, but decided that staying home with her brood of seven was a better call. My sister is an accomplished artist and a professor of art in Nashville, Tennessee. One of my brothers taught school in the public schools. My grandma taught in a one-room schoolhouse in Parnell, Michigan, before taking on a higher-paying job as an instructor at an inner city school in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Other family, including many cousins and uncles, went on to become teachers, administrators, and even college professors. Maybe it's in the blood. So please know that the current state of affairs in public education troubles my soul. I know that the direction that schools are heading runs counter to the path that our founding fathers intended. As Judeo-Christian values are erased in our schools, the anything-goes ideal of secular humanism has created an environment where sexually taboo topics are now commonly discussed, where our own leaders declare that we are a racist organization and we are to own the moniker of school-to-prison pipeline, and where a disproportionate amount of time, effort, and fiscal resources are devoted to the marginalized groups while the high achievers and outstanding citizens of the school, to me, often seem overlooked. In fact, schools believe that controlling outcomes through equity-driven policies are more important than maintaining high standards and recognizing the exceptional performance of the diligent. As I took a long walk the other day, I racked my brain to come up with the four wrong turns that our schools have taken that I believe have bumped us off the rails. In the following few minutes, I would like to discuss them. And then we can come up with ideas of how to bring our schools back. Today, I will be re reading two excerpts from George H. Smith and Pastor Dale Ebel. So today we'll be talking about the first two wrong turns that I believe schools have taken. 
And then in part two, I will discuss the third and the fourth. Now, don't get me wrong, folks. I believe that schools are pretty far down the road of this secular humanist ideal. And I do believe that there is a singular narrative that is being promoted. But I've also seen that parents are speaking up. Parents and teachers are becoming more informed. And more people are inserting their objective viewpoints into the formula now where I see hope. And I think things can change for the better. So I remain hopeful. I really do. So the first wrong turn that I feel that we took was abandoning the original view for public schools or game plan for public schools that Thomas Jefferson had. And with all of the upheaval in our public schools, I believe it's because parents and community members feel alienated and disenfranchised. So let's discuss Jefferson's plan for the public schools. And his plan for the public schools was published in the Notes on the State of Virginia. In it, he called for a highly decentralized system in which small wards would establish and control their own schools. Jefferson feared centralized authority. So he did not even want the state government to, quote, take this business of public education into its own hands, unquote. In his plan for elementary schools in 1817, Jefferson warned that, quote, if a governor and state officials were to control the district schools, they would be badly managed, depraved by abuses, and would soon exhaust the available funds, unquote. The key to local school districts, according to Jefferson, is that they were to give parents direct and ultimate control over how their children were educated. Quote, to suppose that schools will be better managed by any authority of the government than by the parents within each ward is a belief against all experience. A government can no more manage schools than it can manage our farms, our mills, and our merchant stores, unquote. Clearly, Jefferson believed that public education should be the concern of local communities under the supervision of parents. It should not be controlled by the federal or state governments. Extreme decentralization was thus the centerpiece of Jefferson's plan for public schools, and he warned of the potential consequences should this feature be ignored. Quote, what has destroyed liberty and the rights of man in every government which has ever existed under the sun? The generalizing and concentrating all cares and powers into one body, no matter whether of the autocrats of Russia or France or the aristocrats of a Venetian state, unquote. So as our federal bureaucracy has taken the reins in public schools, we have seen how parents feel disempowered and how communities feel helpless as their schools become hyper-partisan hotbeds of extreme ideologies. This was not the intent of our founding fathers. The second wrong turn that I feel has been 
crucial to taking us off the tracks is abandoning the Judeo-Christian ideals of our founding documents. So let's discuss this concept of separation of church and state. It is a Jeffersonian ideal, but what does it really mean? So the purpose of separating the state from the church was to prevent the state from meddling with, interfering against, or controlling the religious expressions or doctrines of the church. Throughout history, it has always been the civil authorities, the state, that took over the religious authorities, the church. Not vice versa. It was therefore the state that had to be limited. This philosophy of keeping the state from exerting control over public religious practices and expressions was planted deeply into American thinking and even enshrined in the First Amendment, which states, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. The first part of the amendment is called the Establishment Clause and the later part, the Free Exercise Clause. Both clauses were pointed at the state, not the church. The Establishment Clause prohibited the state from enforcing religious conformity and the Free Exercise Clause ensured that the state would protect, rather than suppress, as it currently does, citizens' rights of conscience and religious expression. This was the meaning of separation of church and state, with which Thomas Jefferson was intimately familiar. And it was this interpretation that he repeatedly reaffirmed in his writing and practices, not the modern perversion of it. The Danbury Baptist wrote Jefferson in 1801, congratulating him on being the first anti-federalist president to be elected. The anti-federalist advocated clear limits on the centralization of government powers. They also expressed in the same letter great concern that the First Amendment was not sufficiently clear about protecting the free exercise of religious expression. In the context of the letter, he wrote back to the Baptists using the phrase, quote, thus building a wall of separation between church and state, unquote. And this was a phrase only to affirm the historical understanding that government has not the authority to stop, inhibit, or regulate public religious expressions. Throughout his presidency, Jefferson called for days of prayer, introduced religious bills in the state legislature, signed numerous federal acts promoting religious groups and activities, and facilitated official churches in the U.S. Capitol, Treasury Building, War Office, and Navy Yard. Were Jefferson alive today, he would undoubtedly be one of the loudest voices against a secularized public square. The separation doctrine was never used to secularize the public square, but quite the contrary. It existed to protect rather than remove voluntary public religious practices. As affirmed by early Quaker leader, Will Wood. Quote, the separation of church and state does not mean the exclusion of God, righteousness, morality from the state. 
So those are the first two consequential decisions that have been made by our government authorities that I believe have led our public schools astray. And I think we've seen consequences in a number of different categories with regard to behaviors, with regard to academic achievement, with regard to the day-to-day -day workings of schools and the general amount of respect and disrespect that's noticed on a daily basis. So as you can see, public schools have strayed far from the original path of our founders. Putting control of schools in the hands of federal and state powers while dismantling parental control and removing godly ideals and constitutional principles to re be replaced by the religion of secular humanism and pushing collectivism and identity politics instead of treasuring personal responsibility and achievement. All of these things have created a true crisis in public education. So what can we do to pull the train back on the tracks? We need to educate ourselves about what is going on in the schools. Listening to podcasts by cool guys like Tom O'Brien will help. That was supposed to be funny. But more importantly, stay connected with your local schools. Go to board meetings, something I rarely did until about two years ago. And support public education by making your voice heard by speaking up, making phone calls, and writing emails. We need to bring the control of our schools back home and away from the highly corrupt and godless bureaucrats who care more about power and indoctrination than they do about respectful behavior in schools, student achievement, and creating citizens that aren't victims, but instead take care of their fellow citizens, thinking outwardly rather than inwardly. So I'd like to encourage you once again to stay involved, keep praying for our public schools, and don't give up. God is doing great things, and we must keep the faith. So thanks for listening to the Edge of Babel Emporium. I'd like you to have a great night and remind you that I will cover the next two decisions that our school leaders have made that have led us further astray. And again, provide reminders of how we can bring things back. So thanks again. Have a great night and tune in for the next episode where I cover numbers three and four. Thanks.